This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Fight Back. The Liberal government's proposed legislation on assisted dying will go to a vote in the House of Commons tonight, but it's doubtful that a new law will be in place before the Supreme Court deadline coming up next Monday. June the 6th. That's because a group of senators say they won't pass it as it is in the upper chamber. And even if they would, there really isn't a lot of time left for it to go through all the additional legislative steps that it would mean. So what's going to happen in the absence of a law on the issue. Some parliamentarians argue that there is no magic to the deadline and that it's much more important to get it right than to get it done on time. The big question is, how will this affect patients who want to end their intolerable suffering and what will doctors do? Will they agree to some requests as they see fit or will they refuse to take any action in the absence of a federal legal framework. There are uh, guidelines by each of the provincial colleges, or almost all of them. Right now, I'm on the line with Dr. Jeff Blackmer, Vice President of Medical Professionalism with the Canadian Medical Association. Welcome, Dr. Blackmer. Thanks very much. What is your position? Uh, What are you advising doctors to do? So we're still in a holding pattern like everybody else. Uh, We're anticipating the passage of the bill in the House, uh, uh, um, as you've stated, and then we'll see what happens once it gets to the Senate. There's certainly been, a, I guess I would say, a fairly small number of senators that have been very vocal in terms of of their views. What we don't know is where the rest of the Senate sits on this. So we will be continuing to have some discussions uh, with those folks over the next few days. And then, you know, certainly we'll have to see how things play themselves out. Um, If there is no uh, law passed by June 6th, we have some very significant concerns with that type of scenario. And I can tell you that we've heard very, very clearly from our membership that they have uh, very significant concerns. So um, absent clear federal legislation, I think it's fair to say that uh, the majority of physicians will not feel comfortable in that type of a scenario stepping forward to us to uh, provide assistance in dying. And it's important for people to remember that, uh, you know, this is as serious as it gets for the medical profession. We're not talking about, you know, if something goes wrong or if they misinterpret, you know, uh, the Supreme Court decision. We're not talking about a sanction. We're talking about jail time. So, um, you know, I I think uh, people uh, would probably be understanding about the fact that doctors will proceed with very significant caution uh, if there is no law in place. 
Okay, Dr. Blackmore, I'm just uh, going to uh, give out the numbers once again, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. And people out there, we want to hear from you. And also, if you have questions um, about uh, what the doctors are doing. So, Dr. Blackmore, there are people who say that because there are provincial guidelines in place, which in general are... are, uh, sometimes even more stringent than the proposed law, that that there is not really a void or a vacuum. How do you respond to that argument? So I don't agree with that. Um, I I think the... uh, So these are guidelines that are put in place by the medical regulatory authorities. So it's important to remember these are the bodies that that govern physicians, that sanction them, that that sometimes take away their licenses. And uh, these are not the bodies that physicians normally turn to in a situation such as this. They play a very important role in terms of developing guidelines and standards. Uh, but in this type of a scenario, physicians are going to turn to their malpractice insurance providers, the, the Canadian Medical Protective Association, for legal counsel, because this is very clearly um, a legal issue. And while the regulatory authorities have a role for the average Canadian physician, uh, they won't even necessarily look at those regulations before they call their lawyer and get advice. And and that association has also stressed the need for legislation in place by June 6, or they have indicated that they feel physicians will be in a very, very vulnerable legal situation. The other point I'd make about that is it's important to recognize that Although there are uh, regulations in place, they vary from province to province, sometimes very significantly. Um, So, for example, one province says it's okay at age 16. Uh, Other provinces say age 18 or 19. One province has no age cut off. Um, And as you know, as a physician, um, that's not something we want to see where, uh, you know, there's different standards. And that's just one example. There's several other examples. So it it really is a very inconsistent approach from province to province. And again, uh, while I think that would provide some guidance for physicians who who are interested in participating and are willing to take those legal risks, um, for most physicians, that's not where they will be turning uh, for support and uh, and advice, but I, I generally uh, health is a provincial responsibility, and as long as you follow the guidelines in your own province, uh, why would that be? Uh, why would the difference in provincial guidelines be a problem? Because the criminal code is federal in nature, and assisted dying falls under the criminal code. So again, um, but that know, law yourself- is being struck down. There will be no law. That's right. And so the guidelines that now would exist based on the Carter decision are as broad and as non-clinical as one could possibly imagine. They provide essentially no direction whatsoever for physicians in terms of determining who would qualify. And so again, I think people need to put themselves in physician's shoes to say, if there is no law in place, uh, you are really taking a risk putting yourself forward and participating. And there is no question that there will be some physicians who will feel comfortable in that scenario. We know that for certain. And I have no idea what those numbers will be like. Um, you know, we don't know if that's 10 physicians or 100 physicians or 1,000 physicians. Or how uh, people who, will find those physicians. Well, that's another really important point, and, and that's one reason why we've been advocating so strongly for a central coordinating mechanism like the one that exists in Alberta, because there's no 
doubt that we need a way to connect patients who qualify uh, with willing providers. And that's important for patients and families and doctors and the system. And so we continue to advocate very strongly uh, at the federal level to make sure that there's a system like that uh, in place. And we will continue to do so until that exists, because you're absolutely right. That is a key component of this entire discussion, is that the the connection piece. And uh, can you describe uh, the mechanism that exists in Alberta? Sure. This is very straightforward, and and it takes not that many resources. So essentially in Alberta, physicians who say that they would participate in assisted dying can register with Alberta Health Services. There's a number that they can call and give their uh, contact information. Patients and families then who want to speak to someone about this or get more information or be connected with a willing provider can also call Alberta Health Services and be connected with someone. And we know that this is important because there's already been a case in Alberta uh, where a woman in Calgary could not right. find anyone, even though there were physicians in Calgary who were willing to assist. And she went and to so BC. Al- that's exactly right. She ended up having, unfortunately, to travel away from home and go to BC. So um, I think Alberta uh, really reacted very appropriately by putting something in place. And, you know, it, it would be great if each province did that, but we also think there's a role for the federal government to play in that area as well. Okay, Dr. Blackmer, uh, hang on a sec. Let's uh, take a call for a moment. Sure. We've got Karen and Bolton. Hi, Karen. Hi. How are you? Uh, okay, thank you. And yourself? Uh, we're fine. Thank you. My comment is I have a couple of things that concern me about the bill. When I first was, the bill was coming up, I guess I read the information. I feel that it is far too broad. I know that there are people who are in positions where this type of uh, dealing with their issue is to end it. I do feel, though, that when they open it up to people over 18, when they open it up to people with dementia, and I also think that doctors... Uh, let me just, uh, Karen, correct you. Um, correct those were Those were uh, suggestions by a parliamentary uh, committee, but... Uh, the bill, as uh, it's being proposed now, uh, I believe the age is 19, and it is not open for people with dementia. There's no possibility for... Oh, I'm very glad to hear that. I didn't realize that. Thank you. Um, what do you think that... Uh, we, we're on the phone with Dr. Jeff Blackmer. What do you think that uh, doctors should do if there is no law in place next Monday? Do you think uh, that they should uh, accede to these requests or hold off? Do you have a, a, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, if it's not a law, I think they have to be very careful with whatever steps they take in this area. But I do feel there is a need for something for people who are suffering very badly. I just think that possibly, I don't know what what the bill is now like. Even 19, I get a bit nervous about all that. And I also think that doctors, the whole concept of being a doctor is to provide, uh, to heal. I mean, I I know, uh, I guess there's many ways of of, uh, of telling me what healing is. So I guess, I don't know. Okay, Karen, thank you very much for your call. You're welcome. Okay, the numbers once again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And I am on the phone with Dr. Jeff Blackmer from the Canadian Medical Association. We're talking about medically assisted dying, and we're also talking about what is going to happen in the very likely event that there will be no law come next Monday when the current law 
banning it is uh, no longer in force. Dr. Blackmer, do you see a parallel here? Uh, we had a, quite a while where there was no abortion law. Yeah, yeah, there's an absolute parallel there on a number of levels. And in fact, we still have no abortion law. Most people aren't aware that Canada is the only developed country in the world with no law governing abortion. So in theory, you know, you can get abortion at any point in your pregnancy, but in, in actuality, that doesn't happen because of professional standards. But, uh, you know, our position has been that this, this issue uh, is too important and too complex just to leave to that type of a scenario. And, you know, it, all, it, it also took decades, um, you know, for things to evolve in terms of, uh, of the access to abortion peace as sort of clinics, you know, came into being and, and people were able to sort of find providers. I don't think we, leave, we want to leave it up to chance in the way that we've done with abortion. And, you know, certainly our... our uh, uh, impression is that there's no appetite at all in the House or the Senate uh, not to pass a law. I think the, you know, the debate right now is is around the timing and you know how crucial is the June 6 deadline. And uh, but it, it seems like everyone understands the importance of having something in place much sooner rather than later. One of the uh, problems that that people have uh, with the law is uh, the language. And one of the bits of language is uh, foreseeable uh, death in the reasonably foreseeable future. I'm not sure if I'm quoting it exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Why is that problematic? Well, actually, I don't think that's problematic at all. And I'm always absolutely stunned when I hear people um, criticize that language. And the reason is, the reason I'm stunned is because absent that language, what we are left with is the language in the Carter decision, which says a person has to have a condition that's grievous and irremediable. And that could be anything. I mean, almost literally any condition could be considered grievous and irremediable because it doesn't say how grievous that has to be. So it's completely, you know, in the eye of the beholder. What could be grievous to one patient could be, you know, perfectly tolerable to another patient. So what what the language in the draft bill does, the, the language around uh, natural death being reasonably foreseeable, is it at least helps us understand that it's, you know, it's really grievous. So it's something that would eventually lead to death. So it's not sort of a reversible condition or a temporary benign condition. It's something that's very, very serious, and it gives it at least a bit of objectivity. Now, it's not perfect language by any stretch, and I don't think anyone can expect sort of perfect clarity from a federal bill. There are limitations to what, you know, the federal government can do within the confines of of sort of their power in this area. As you say, help is a provincial jurisdiction, so they have to be reasonably high level. But, you know, of all those people who are criticizing reasonably foreseeable, when I challenge them and I say, well, if they take out that language, we'll be left with grievous and irremediable. They never have anything to say about that. So, yeah, but what about what about conditions that are grievous and irremediable, but don't necessarily cause death? I'm I'm thinking of something like MS, which can be extremely debilitating. Uh, uh, there are certain kinds of uh, incredible pain. Uh, what about those kinds of things? So, again, you know, I, I think, you know, you probably hit the nail on the head. MS absolutely would qualify for certain patients. So I have a big part of my clinical practice is actually MS. And I, so I use that example. If I have a patient coming in with MS who has a slight limp and walks with a cane, 
they have a grievous and irremediable condition, but their death is not reasonably foreseeable. I don't think anyone would argue that patient should qualify for assisted dying. However, I also unfortunately treat patients who are very, very sick with MS, who are who are bedbound, who are being fed by feeding tubes, who have pressure sores, their death is reasonably foreseeable because of MS without knowing exactly when that will be. Under this bill, they would qualify for assisted dying. And I think that is the type of person that we would want to see, you know, in terms of, of what most sort of Canadians feel is reasonable. And so it's a perfect example of exactly why this wording is required and we cannot leave it at grievous and irremediable. Okay, well, um, hold on a second. Uh, We're going to have to take a break, but let's take one quick call before the break. We've got Larry in Mississauga. Hi, Larry. Hi. uh, Very quickly, uh, I just wondered what provision is going to be in the bill uh, to protect a person's insurance rights. Uh, For instance, if uh, because uh, most insurance companies do not pay off on suicide, if you choose to uh, 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 to go the route of assisted suicide, uh, will the insurance benefits that a person would have been entitled to uh, uh, still be there, be protected? Uh, well, it, it's it's called a medically assisted dying, not suicide. Um, I can't answer your question, but what we can do, we have to take a break now. I, I, we'll try I to look that. it up. <laughs> I can answer that. You can? Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, so it's a common misperception, actually, that insurance policies don't pay out when people uh, commit suicide. Uh, all insurance policies pretty much have a two-year indemnity clause. So, If you commit suicide within the first two years of getting that policy, it would be null and void. But if it's after that two-year period, then it would still apply. And the insurance companies are telling us they intend to to keep the same thing for assisted dying as well. So uh, if you you, uh, undertake assisted dying uh, two years or more after getting the policy, then it would still pay out. Okay. Thank you very much for that answer. Uh, Larry, thanks for... Thank you. I needed to know that. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for your call. Uh, We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Dr. Jeff Blackmer and with your calls after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Jeff Blackmer from the Canadian Medical Association. We're talking about the uh, law or lack thereof on assisted dying. The deadline is coming up next Monday, and it does not look like there is going to be a law in place. Uh, We're taking your calls and questions, and let's start off with Sam in Brantford. Hello, Sam. Yeah, hello. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh yeah, my suggestion is this. If this law is coming down by the federal government, why are each individual provinces wanting their own age limit? I think the age personally should be 19 or over, same as the Young Offenders Act. And the way all the, all, all the uh, rest of the provinces have to abide by this particular one law, which is going to be federal. Well, when there is a law, they will have to abide by it. But in the absence of a law, there are provincial guidelines right now. Do you have anything uh, that you would like to say about that, Dr. Blackburn? 
I would I would just say that speaks to the importance of having a federal law in place so that we don't have that variation across the provinces. And and also just to clarify, the uh, the age on the federal law as it currently stands is is uh, eighteen or older. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I don't mind. I think that's great because that way they can follow some sort of uh, law in place now, which is young, uh, which is the Young Offenders Act. Okay. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that uh, correction, Dr. Blackmer. No I, have you um, had any kind of um, advice from insurance companies about uh, whether, I would assume that right now, that that uh, in terms of whether they would defend a doctor who was charged in the absence of a law? Sure. So I've, so I've spoken uh, with our insurance providers, and, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, all things being equal, they will always defend a physician. So that's not really the question. It's, it's the advice that they'll provide to physicians, you know, before they undertake the act. And, and obviously, just like any member of the public, physicians take the advice of their lawyers very, very seriously. And, uh, and again, they uh, will be urging great caution until a federal bill is in place, which I think is, is completely appropriate. Again, given the severity, you know, we're not talking about a slap on the wrist. We're, we're talking about jail time, um, potentially. So, uh, so everyone, I think, you know, is going to be proceeding with extreme caution uh, until a law is in place, which, which really is as it should be. Um, from the patient perspective as well, I think I think most you know members of the Canadian public would also expect that until a law is in place, people would uh, you know would want to be very very careful about uh, about these uh, these situations. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's hard to understand how a doctor could be prosecuted uh, under the terms of a law that is not in existence anymore. Well, again, because the uh, the wording in the Supreme Court ruling, which is basically what we will be left with if there is no federal law, because the wording is so vague, um, physicians don't know if 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 they undertake assisted dying for a patient and the family takes them to court for murder, and they have to justify their decision based on grievous and irremediable, then all bets are off, right? And what physician would want to take those chances? Not very many. So some will. Some will say, you know, I feel that uh, the suffering of my patients is so great that I will take those risks. And again, we know absolutely that there are physicians who will step forward and do that. Um, but again, I think people need to recognize this is not a this is not a small risk. And and even though there is a Supreme Court decision in place and provincial guidelines in place, again, they provide very little comfort or reassurance to the average Canadian physician because uh, none of the provinces have put in place more specific or clear language than the language found in the Carter case. Um, except for, interestingly, New Brunswick, which says that a patient does need to be on a trajectory towards death. Um, all of the other provinces just basically leave it at grievous and irremediable. And again, for the average physician, that provides no guidance, no clarity, and certainly no um, sort of comfort uh, that they are making the right decisions from a clinical perspective. And, and it would leave them open, I think, to all sorts of uh, potential legal challenges should, again, should a family or a member of the public uh, choose to pursue that. So would you advise patients in a void uh, that they have to go to court the same way they have been? Um, no. I, and, and again, you know, that's that's not our role to provide that type of advice. But I, I think 
you know, I think the key, you know, between if there's no law on June 6th, between then and when a law is passed, the, the key will really be having a system in place to connect, you know, patients with um, with those providers who do step forward. I mean, I, I suppose the legal um, system would would be one uh, would be one avenue, um, getting the judicial exemption, uh, and that may make some physicians feel sort of more comfortable. Uh, but recognizing that that would be a very imperfect solution, and again, you, you know, we certainly recognize um, sort of the toll that takes on a on a patient who may be at the end of their life. It's not a you know, it's not a completely simple and inexpensive process to pursue. So, you know, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later, we'll have those uh, coordination systems in place as well. Okay, we have to wrap things up, Dr. Blackmer, but do you have, uh, a, again, a final piece of advice to uh, families or patients who may want to seek this, uh, you know, after Monday with Absolutely. no law? Absolutely. So the first thing to do is to discuss, the, to discuss it with your care provider and to find out their views and their position and whether or not they're willing to step forward and assist. I mean, for a lot of patients, the first step is just getting information and trying to understand the situation. And um, if they're not willing to assist, they may know of someone who is, uh, and, and there may be, you know, a possible connection that way. But I think, um, you know, there is going to need to be some patience on the part of the public uh, you know, until the legislators pass this law, I think we need to recognize that uh, that access will be an issue and we'll do the best that we can uh, within that context. Okay, Dr. Jeff Blackmer, Vice President of Medical Professionalism with the Canadian Medical Association. Thank you so much for your insight today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks very much for speaking with me. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.